Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark. We're going to be in Mark. We're going to be in three places, but they're all pretty close, so... I will turn with you. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I was also preparing for all the teachings at the uh, vocation retreat. So I was, it's funny because I was almost like, man, do I even need to teach about serving? Like, I feel like just, I could just tell you to read the Bible, and I think you'd get it. Like, the Bible is a God who serves, and then you believe in that God who serves, and you serve in light of that. And that I could just be done. We're good here, right? Um, <laughs> But I want to just share some moments that I think we, just to remind ourselves, for some of us to reinvigorate a fire of serving, uh, or for many of you, uh, convict you, because maybe you've just been a bum. Um, and I will tell a story about how I've been a bum for a long time at the end, so don't feel like you're alone here. Uh, but uh, Mark 10, we're going to be in verse 42 here. Mark 10, Matthew, Mark. We're going to start in verse 42. Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions use their authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, I love this passage because there's really two, two things going on in this passage. Number one is Jesus is just reminding us of his manifesto on earth. It's to serve others. It's not to be served, it's to serve in the way that he serves is lots of ways, but the ultimate way is through a ransom, through a sacrifice, through his, his actual life, through torture and death, uh, that he serves us. And it's one thing to serve someone who's grateful, like Lucas is saying, and that you move and they're like, just astounded. It's a whole other thing to serve someone who doesn't care or is vehemently against you and hates you and is angry at you and you're still serving them. And Jesus is doing this, uh, and that is what his life is to be poured out for, is to serve all people regardless of what he receives in return. But the other aspect of this passage is the, the thinking of the disciples constantly having to be un, unlearned and relearned the way of Jesus in light of what they thought about power structures and authority and also Jesus' commissioning to them. What I mean by that is in this passage, you know, we're getting to the point where it's almost Holy Week or Palm Sunday and then Good Friday where Jesus dies and then Easter where he resurrects, right? And this last week is full of lots of tension and pressure and the disciples are hearing about him saying, hey, I'm going to be taken, killed, crucified, right, and raised again. Uh, and they're then in their heads are thinking, all right, like, where's the pecking order in all of this? Like, if things go down, like, who's in charge? Or, who's gonna, or even if Jesus goes and we win or whatever, right? We take over Rome or Jerusalem or whatever they thought was going to happen. Where are we at in this? And so their minds are going to fighting about authority through power. But Jesus says, as rulers of Gentiles, Gentiles is a fancy way to say, like, non-Jewish people. And at this point, we could internalize this now as 
like non-Christians, people who don't follow Jesus. They lord it over them. Those in high positions use their authority over them. What he's saying is the world as you know it thinks of authority through the lens of power. The world is run by power. Now, power can translate into sex and money and status and you know, all these type of things, but I, I hope I don't have to take a very long philosophic argument with you about the, how the world is run by power. Uh, because even if we're like, well, we don't have a dictator in America, uh, you still don't think Fortune 500 companies hold a lot of power with the money they use in, in the political sphere and like, you know, right? I don't need to tell you much. You agree, hopefully. The world is run by power, and the way then that, that, that happens to us who are maybe not very powerful people is we still have to play the game. Uh, and we still have to follow the standard of like trying to gain power so that we have more influence and hoping that we don't compromise ourselves in the process. That's how most people think about it. But Jesus is just not even going to play the game. He says, look, this is how they play the game. They lord it over each other. They worry about authority. They worry about power. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't deal with any of that. I'm just here to serve. And in serving, you truly can be at the heart of Jesus. And so for us, as Christians, the power structures are completely flipped. And what that means is a lot of implications. One that we hate is that we will get taken advantage of, like 100%, right? Uh, and even moving, sometimes it might feel like that. We're moving this person we don't know, and, uh, or you're making this meal for this family, and you, you know, you're not going to get anything out of it, right? Or you give money to a homeless person, and you're like, I don't know if they're actually going to use this for good things, right? Um, it, we, that's just like, that's what we signed up for. I mean, think about the last few hours of Jesus' life. It was literally being tortured, taken advantage of, like slandered, beat, alone. Like, literally, that is what we signed up for. Now, some of you might be like, I didn't sign up for that. Um, well, stick around long enough, because that's what you did. They just didn't tell you. They left that part out. But that's what we signed up for. And, and then the tension becomes, are we secure enough to sign up for that and continually sign up for that? Are we secure enough in our lives to allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to serve others and potentially have to deal with the sinful power structures that might attack that type of living? Uh, and so a lot of us aren't comfortable with that, or we are in certain areas, or we sort of start to depreciate in our comfort for that, and then we have to be reminded of the heart of the gospel and why we do this. Because at the very base of the gospel, it is a... A, uh, a God who became a man and served us and died for us, and that is an act of service. That is what the gospel is rooted in, and that is what followers of Jesus root themselves in. And so this will come to fruition uh, in the next story, which is in John 12. So you're going to just turn two books to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 12, and then now we're on Palm Sunday. So that's exciting. You would have been like, I've never known that Palm Sunday was in September. Well, it's not. <laughs> uh, but I want to read this story. I want to read the whole context because the context is going to be important to how we, how we interpret this. Uh, starting in verse 12, John 12, 12. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, they went out to meet him, and they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus then found a young donkey, he sat on it, and just as it is written, uh, do not be afraid, people of Zion. Zion is basically Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, his disciples did not understand these things when they first happened, but when Jesus was glorified or crucified and rose again, they remembered that these things were written about him and that these things had happened to him. So the crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb remember, and, and raised him from the dead 
We're continuing to testify about it. That crowd, remember, he just before this, he was in a village before this where he raised out, he raises one of his good uh, buddies, Lazarus, out of the tomb, and everyone's like, the momentum of that is following him into Jerusalem. They're testifying about it. Because they had heard that Jesus had performed this miraculous sign, the crowd went out to meet him. Thus the Pharisees said to one another, the religious leaders, you see that, that, that you can do nothing. Look, the world has run off after him. They're like, we cannot do anything. This guy is bulletproof. Everybody wants a piece of him. So who wants a piece of him? Verse 20, some of the Greeks. Now some Greeks who were among them who had gone up to worship at the feast, they approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and requested, sir, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip takes that. He went and told Andrew, and they both went and told Jesus. Jesus replies, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This leads into this, maybe this famous passage you've heard. The one who loves his life then destroys it, but the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anybody wants to serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I I love this passage because the context here is basically revealing the fact that Jesus is at potentially his most influential moment. He's approaching the city of Jerusalem, which was the city of the religious Jewish Yahweh experience at the most heightened time in 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 the year, with a massive crowd of, of pumped people. And if we're American, right, and we're, we're Jesus, we're like, got to maximize this moment, right? Like, got to build my influence, you know? You get the microphone at a Taylor Swift concert, like, you're going to sell your brand, right? You're going to shoot your shot, right? Like, you're going you're, you're gonna to take advantage of this because we, how we want to squander this influence, right? And what does he do? These Greeks, these big, big, tough Greek guys want to want to talk with him and want to hear about these things and, and then wants to build some influence, maybe have an international book, who knows, right? And Jesus says, no. And he says, no. I mean, if you look, he doesn't even entertain it. He immediately says, the time has come for me to be glorified. And his glorification is an act of service to us. And so he's saying, I am going to go serve all these people and, and turn away the trajectory of influence and power and what most people would say would be way more wise use of his time, right? And that's exactly where the, the rubber hits the road for a lot of us is we have this quandary between these small moments of service opportunities and what it will do for ourselves. And if our view of ourselves is to play the power game and to reach a level of influence or be likable or be loved or whatever it may be, have more money or time or whatever, or get a, uh, get a, uh, you do something so you get something in return, then you play this play, right? But if you're secure enough and you trust Jesus enough and you follow his way, right, and you serve him and you follow him, it says, if you follow me, where I am, my servant will be too. If I follow where Jesus is, Jesus chooses the road of death. Jesus chooses the road of service. And this is why this little parable he puts in here about this kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It must die to build life. And there's also another factor of, like, if you're a kernel, you're alone. You're by yourself. But once you sprout, you produce a community of wheat, right? And I don't know if you have your PhD in horticulture. I spend a lot of time with guys that do because I love bonsai, and so they're all just, like, experts. But uh, when you, if you, if maybe, maybe this is more approachable. If you're someone who has a garden, but you're like, I will grow it from seed, you know? I will not let Lowe's charge me $4 for my banana plant, right? 
uh, banana pepper plant, then you know that when you buy seeds, you have to go through a germination process. And germination most times requires cold, like you put it in your freezer, right? Or it has to be dark in a certain amount of time and cold. And what that's doing is it's dying. And if you think about Ohio in the fall, all these like seeds fall, they hit the ground, pine cones, spruce cones, all this type of stuff. You can tell them in the trees. And, uh, and they, they fall on the ground, and then what happens? Snow hits, cold temperatures, dirt, and they sit underneath dead for a while, for a germination period. It's like hibernation for a bear almost. And then, they, and then spring comes, and all this energy has been just stored, and it just shoots up, right? And a sprout happens, and there you go. And then you see it on the surface. And in the same way, you have to be willing to die. Now, the thing about dying, if we were just, you could take this a myriad of ways, but dying is negative. Dying is grief. Dying is sadness. Dying is not moving forward in the power structure. Dying is removing yourself from the river of the flow of culture, right? And it's not a positive experience. But in the moment of dying, do we have the security and trust that what I'm doing by dying is being faithful to producing what Jesus wants to produce? And so a lot of times the reason why we don't serve, it's not that we don't have the opportunities. It's not even that we don't know what to do. Like I would say most people know if you follow Jesus, your job is to serve. I'm not teaching you anything new. But there's these small moments you have every day where you decide, do I want to go here or do I want to die? And it's very telling of where our hearts are at based on the decision that we make. The small amounts of dying that we do become a pattern and a habit and a way of life for us. And so, yes, the small amounts of serving matter just as much as the large amounts. Something as silly as holding a door for someone adds up to doing something massive for someone else. So every moment and every little opportunity we have in our lives to serve is a moment of importance. And this is why then he says, look, if you love your, li- if you, uh, if you love your life here, you destroy it. Meaning if you choose yourself in that path and you're, you're self-made and you're awesome and you're great, you're killing yourself. You're building an idol of yourself that's not, not going to sustain, especially not going to sustain for eternity. But he says, but if you hate your life, and I know that's harsh language for us, but what that means is if you're, if you're acknowledging the importance of your life in light of others and of what God's calling you to, then you find yourself with eternal life. And I think this is like, it feels very up in the sky, but if you, if you practically thought about it, if you died tonight and you went to heaven tomorrow, and everybody there was just as selfish as they are here. I don't know about you, but that's, that sucks. Like, I don't want to be in that heaven. Anybody else? Like, it's just Earth 2.0, right? Maybe there's some gold streets, but everybody's still mean and, like, and yells at you when you cut them off in the street, right? Like, that's not the world I want to live in forever. Because heaven is not full of selfishness. Heaven is full of people who have self-giving love. And we're practicing for heaven now in the way that we love people and we serve people. And we're bringing the, as Lucas said, we're bringing the kingdom tangibly in front of other people. And this is exactly what Jesus means when he gets to the last passage, which is John 13. So if you turn one, basically one chapter to your right, John 13, John 12, we just talked about, this is Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, of the, of the Holy Week that we talk about and we practice every year as a church. If we go from Sunday to Thursday now, this is where John 13 is. Thursday is the most written about chapter in John. It's like eight of the 21 chapters is just Thursday. And it's because it's an incredibly powerful night. It's Jesus' last night with his disciples. It's where we get uh, the idea of Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or bread and cup uh, as a symbol that Jesus breaks bread and, and, and wine with his disciples. And he teaches them, and he culminates all of his three years of teaching with a final uh, words of encouragement and teaching and prodding. And what I, I think to set the stage of the temperament of this is to think about the idea that like, if you were moving, let's just say you're like, hey, we're moving to Vancouver Canada, you know, 
And so it's like, it's just, you know, we're not, we're not going to come see you in the summer. Like, you're just kind of gone. Like, you're leaving. And, uh, and we all love you deeply, and we have this, like, going away party, right? And we all sit around the table. And, yeah, we have, we eat, and we drink, and we have fun, and we tell jokes and laugh and tell stories. But maybe somebody's intentional enough to say, hey, why don't we uh, encourage them in, in ways that we can, like, like give them a, a healthy trajectory moving forward? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing, knowing that his kernel will fall and die, right? In the glorification, he'll eventually leave them and give them the spirit. And so he chooses to teach a lot of different things, remind them of a lot of different things. But in, in John 13, verse 34, he gives them a new commandment, which is funny because this isn't new. He's been teaching this his entire three years by his behavior. But now he puts what he had done as a behavior into words. And he says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Now, immediately, it's, it's not so silly because you're like, are you telling me Jesus didn't love any of them for the last three years? Yes, he clearly did, right? But he showed them what it looks like for three years before he said, that's what you need to do. See, see it. Remember everything I've done? That's how you love. And he says, just as I have loved you then, you are also to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. Now, I know that sometimes people say, well, Jesus is just talking to disciples, so I can love people in my church, but everyone else, I don't care about them. <laughs> uh, and I guess, you know, if you want to play that angle, good for you. But I think if you read the rest of the Bible, you'll realize that God does love everyone, and you have to love everyone as well. And, and so we take from this passage the idea that, like, our love and our service is a apologetic for Jesus. Yes, you can have fancy answers to hard questions, but you can also just wash someone's car and mow their lawn without them asking, and you don't think that that's not going to mess with their brain. Of like, why is this person doing this, right? You know, every time that we, we move someone or, like, you know, maybe I help a neighbor out, let them borrow my mower or my shovel or something, they're always like, I'm going to get you back. Don't worry. Like, you can borrow my shovel. And I'm like, it's cool. I don't need your shovel, right? They're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a six-pack, or I'm going to get you pizza, or we're going to have you over. Like, it's this indebtedness. And they just, can't, like, they just can't fathom in a world of power structures how you would do something that would have no application to any of that. And they just can't, they can't get themselves out of it. They're like, let me, let me help you. Um, I helped move some, someone's mattress uh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't even know the person. It was a friend of a friend. And I spent an hour and helped move a mattress into OSU because I own a truck. I just told you, so now I'm in trouble. But, um, and they were like, we got to have you over for a barbecue. Like, you know, we got to do this. And I was like, you don't have to do anything. Like, it's cool. Like, I, I met you. I know your name. I'll maybe never see you again, but I helped you move your mattress. It's really okay. Um, and so there's this sense of indebtedness because it messes with them because it's saying the power structure the rest of the world plays, I ain't playing that game. And if you don't want to play that game either and you want to have life to the fullest and transformation and joy, then, then come, come hang out with me and I'll show you how, it, how Jesus does it. That's the beauty of serving. And that's the fruit we sometimes get to see. And that's when he says, you will, they will know your disciples from my love. And how does Jesus love his disciples on Monday Thursday? We do this as well on Monday Thursday. We have an awesome meal, right? We, um, you know, we, we spend time in just gratefulness and gratitude, right? And then we wash each other's feet, which is just terrible. <laughs> uh, but we do it because Jesus did it. And we do it in a way that is not even near as close as culturally significant as it was when he did it. Because when he did it, the power structures were even more set into place. You can start a startup company and a tech company and be a millionaire, and everyone's like, cool, great. In this culture, you did not jump classes. If you were a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If you were a farmer, you were a farmer. And the rabbi, the teaching, 
Jewish person was a high-respected figure, they never got on their knees and washed their apprentices' feet, which is why all of them are incredibly uncomfortable with it, right? Which is why everyone's like, let me buy you a pizza if you help us move. We've got to give you something, right? Because Jesus gets on his knees and he washes their feet and he says, on my last day on earth, before I get tortured and killed, I'd like to wash your feet. It's a powerful reminder that that is what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to wrap up with three things uh, when we serve. I think they're important to remind ourselves. When we serve, we serve three things. One is we serve God. First and foremost, we don't do it for others. We do it because of God, because he's called us to be faithful to him and to honor him. He says, my father will be honored by this if anyone serves me. If you serve me, you serve the least of these, which is others. And so we, we honor God by serving him. So sometimes when we do something, we don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for others. We just do it for the fact that God has called me to this, and I want to honor him, and I'm going to serve him. The second one is we, when we serve others, we, or when we serve, we do serve others, meaning we love people who can't love us back. We do things without the expectation of things coming from it. It encourages people to see the kingdom with no agenda. Imagine if we were in the moving crew, and like every time we moved a box, we're like, hey, when we're done here, like, you're going to accept Jesus. Otherwise, we're taking all these boxes back. You know, like, It would be terrible. That's not how we do it. We just love... And if things come of it, great. We let the spirit move, but we are not called to be the fruit bearers, right? We are called to just provide and till the soil and water it. And then the last thing, which is weird, but it is in order of importance, is when you serve, it actually serves yourself. Not in the way that you're selfish because you're serving others, but you will grow. I guarantee if you serve others radically and you sign up for even the lowest of low things to serve in our community and our people, you will grow in humility. You will grow in selflessness. You will grow in resilience and gratitude and you'll grow in peace and joy because when you serve others, it calms your soul because it's meant to be doing what it's meant to be doing, which is serving and caring for others and caring for God's creation and his image bearers. Uh, I think about it like if, if uh, there's no way that if you're a CEO of a company and you're still cleaning toilets, that you, st- you still aren't a little bit humble. You know, like There's just something about the act of doing that, placing yourself in that, that won't help you become more like Jesus. So serving actually does stuff for us as much as it honors God and it helps others. And so as we wrap all this up, you know, I want to talk about how I've been a bum before. This is always fun. It's fun to do it two times in a Sunday as well. Uh, but uh, I grew up in a home where my mom was just awesome, superhero, done a, did a ton of stuff. My dad was a little more stereotypical, like wife, husband role in the 80s, 90s, whatever. <laughs> Uh, and so I didn't really serve much. Like, I did my chores, you know, but it was very, like, n- you know, minimal. And then that, what that did was, even though that was, my mom was great and all that, it kind of created a culture of, like, me just mooching, right, or being lazy or not serving. And so then I went to college, and I, I went to this Christian school, and all these people are, like, servant leader, servant leader. You can't call yourself a leader without serving, you know. And I'm like, that's dumb, you know. Like, I know tons of people who are great leaders, and they don't, they don't mow your grass, you know. So, like... I, I, my mentality and my, my worldview and then even my understanding of Jesus had to really shift. But as I started to learn that, the practice of that did not always follow, meaning I knew what, like I knew, knew what I needed to do. I knew that leaders eat last. I knew that like, there's certain mantras and things that make me a servant leader, but I wasn't actually doing it. And part of that is just when you're raised, your practices also inform your knowing, and your knowing also inform, right? They're hand in hand. So I was just like not serving. And there were several conversations that people had with me. There were hard conversations like, hey, Trey, you're not really serving. You're leading. People want to follow you. You're charismatic, but you're not really serving. And if you're not really serving, you're not really following Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, none of this matters. 
And so like, okay, okay, you know, I, I do my best. We all know change doesn't happen the next day. But then I go to Tucson, I'm a student pastor, and my, the lead pastor at the time was, uh, or still there, but he's older and he's very old-fashioned. And so he's like, when you're done with an event, like you're wrapping the cords, you're picking up the chairs, and you do it right. You do everything like right. You put it all back, if not the same, better. Um, very principled on that. And I almost like saw it as like, I got more important things. Like I got to go talk to this person, or I need to go like help this person. I'm not going to go like, you know, set up chairs or whatever. And once again, conversation, right? And then I moved here, and then I became a resident to church plant. This is when I was at Movement in Three Creeks, and uh, a couple months went by, and, and Mark, our church pastor Movement, sat me down and was like, hey, you're crushing it in almost every area. Like, your vision's great. People want to follow this church plant. Uh, I feel like God is really anointing you in these areas, but I just think you're not hustling in the service area. I'm like, gosh, don't you hate it when people just continue? It's the same, like, thread. You just can't, you can't like, break through it. So it's something I'm still actively working on. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. But after a while, you start to realize this isn't like a, a little thing that's just like a side thing that I need to work on. This is the heart of the gospel. If I can't serve my wife and my kids and my church, like I'm not worth following in any capacity. And I think the same is true for you. If, people, if you want people to experience Jesus and you don't serve in any capacity, you're not worth following to see Jesus because you're not going to see Jesus because Jesus is not up here. Jesus is on the street with a homeless person loving them. And if I'm to be where Jesus is, I'm to be there. So for us as a church, you know, there's lots of different ways we try to facilitate that, but a lot of it is just on you and your week and your days and your marriage and your families and your relationships. Um, and so I just, I, I want you to be able to reflect on that because like I said, most of us know the right answer. Doing it is the hard part. So we want to give you a time uh, during formation. We offer this every Sunday, and the point of formation is, once again, to not create consumers and chairs, but people who are being formed into the image of Christ. So we have four things as we wrap up here. Uh, the first one is prayer. We have people in the back. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you, too. You can go back there and be like, the Lord's been so good this week. Can we just, like, praise him, right? That's totally allowed. It doesn't always have to be a request. Um, we have giving and bringing. We call our giving bringing because we're bringing back before the Lord what is his. We're not giving him anything that isn't already his. So there's a box in the back. You can do that. And then we, you know, we have online and all that stuff. Uh, we have the breading cup up here and in the back. It's gluten-free uh, in grape juice. And uh, that's just a symbol. It's just a reminder of what Jesus, the service that he has done for us by giving up his entire body, his blood and his body for us. And so we partake in that as just it's just like eating Jesus. It's reminding ourselves how much we need him every week. And you can do that at your own time if you follow Jesus. And, uh, and the last thing is reflection, reflecting on all of this. And what I want to leave you with in the reflection time, uh, and maybe, maybe a bit of application because this series has kind of been based on what, what's the application of this, is we ask ourselves what I can do to serve. And this is my, uh, this is my Vanna White moment. Uh, we have created... Lots of opportunities for you to serve. Some of these are on Sunday. Some of them are throughout the week in other areas. And obviously, you talk to uh, Laney and um, uh, Lucas about moving crew and stuff. But these are a bunch of areas and roles that we need filled. Um, if you've been here at all the last few weeks, you know we're growing a lot. We're trying to buy a building across the street. We're in that process right now, which means we need more hands on deck. And uh, so these are all the areas uh, that we have ask directors about needs, you know, they range from anything like kids, you know, and obviously you can pick a specific class, but a lot of times you can float around or things like that. But uh, FOSS Coffee, you know, we maybe need a, we need a lot of people that maybe do the events, which aren't on a Sunday, but throughout the season we do a lot of events to love the community. 
worship team, guitarists, drummers, pianists, basically any instrument. Uh, we'd love to have you. Nick would love it. Uh, prayer team, we got prayer people to pray. And then connect team, lots of roles, security team, volunteers, counters for finance. So lots of opportunities. Uh, during this time, if you feel like, man, I, I really want to engage, I really want to serve, uh, this would be a great time to do that. You know, I, I, would, I would just, as a last uh, encouragement, I've, I've said this, I think, a lot of times, but we are a family. We call ourselves a family. Our form of membership is called the Contrast Family. And if you go to a family dinner and you're the only one sitting at the table after and everyone else is cleaning up dishes, you just are not a good family member. And if you've been sitting in these chairs and it's like your first week or you're kind of like, I'm not sure, like, that's fine. We'll let you be our guest for a while. But you, you're not going to be here for a year and not contributing. Uh, we, we care about you too much to let you stay where you're at. Because serving not only honors God, it honors others, and it will grow you. So there's plenty of other places you can go to sit in a chair for a year. But if, if, if you've been here first week and you want to serve, great, but no pressure. But if you've been coming and you've just been leeching and you've not been a part of our family, you've been eating our meals and not helping do the dishes, this is our call to action to do that. Uh, if you're doing five things, maybe you don't need to do any more. Okay? You can only do so much. Uh, we would definitely value margin here. So, um, but feel free to pray about that, reflect on that. Uh, the last logistical thing is when you take one of these, you need to scan the QR code. There's a form that says serve on a team. Just fill that out real quick so we know you took one and then we'll help you this week to do that. There's also it on the back of the seats as well. So we're going to give you some time. I'll invite, I'm going to invite Nick up. And we're going to give you some space for all of these things. And then uh, we'll close in one more song. And uh, we will move on with our day. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.